This week saw a significant moment in the transfer of power from the man who's ruled Cambodia for 38 years, Hun Sen, who's stepping down and transferring power to his son, Hun Manet. On Monday, King Norodom Siamoni issued a decree endorsing Hun Sen's 45-year-old son as the next Prime Minister of Cambodia. That's subject to confirmation by the National Assembly on August 22nd, which is yet another formality after Hun Sen's Cambodian People's Party won 120 of the 125 seats in a typically unfree national election back in July. To discuss the life and legacy of Hun Sen as he prepares to leave office, but not power, we're joined by Sebastian Strangio, uh, Southeast Asia editor uh, for The Diplomat. Sebastian's a former reporter and editor of Cambodia's oldest English language newspaper, the Phnom Penh Post, and he wrote the book Cambodia from Pol Pot to Hun Sen and beyond. Sebastian, welcome to Sunday Extra. Thanks for having me, Julian. It's a pleasure. One way to learn about the life of Hun Sen is to visit a place that you describe in your book as Hun Sen's shrine to himself, the Win-Win Monument, which was inaugurated in 2018 on the 20th anniversary of the end of Cambodia's civil wars. Uh, even with the uh, more critical perspective I'm sure you'll give us, it's been a truly extraordinary life and career. Could you chart that out for us? Yeah, it's, it's, it has been a long and storied career. I mean, Hun Sen has survived through repeated cycles of his country's history and, and each time emerged on top. Um, he's, you know, during the 1980s, he headed a communist party that was installed in the aftermath of the overthrow of the Khmer Rouge. Then he managed a very sensitive nav- uh, transition to democratic elections in the early 1990s when the UN came to the country. And since then, he's seen off virtually every one of his main challengers, both within his party and without. Um, and he is now in a position to hand over power on his own terms after nearly four decades at the pinnacle of Cambodian politics. Uh, you describe him as somebody who's an unlikely leader. Where did uh, Hun Sen come from? He was born in 1952 in a small village on the banks of the Mekong River in Kampong Cham province, which is in the central eastern part of Cambodia. He grew up in a not a very poor family, but by the standards of uh, today, a fairly... Um, middling agricultural family. He then was educated in Phnom Penh. He was not the sort of leader who one would expect through Cambodian history to rise to the top of politics. But because of the disruptions of the country's civil war, the uh, the disruptions of the Khmer Rouge Revolution, which uprooted most of the population Mm. and threw Cambodian society into absolute uh, chaos, someone like Hun Sen was able to 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 emerge at the top, um, the, the monarchy was overthrown in 1970, and Prince Sihanouk was, um, uh, who was the monarch at the time, was uh, uh, cast into exile. Um, and so, someone like Hun Sen had the ability in that during that chaos to rise to the top. This is not the sort of leader that Cambodia had historically had. Cambodia is not a free country today, according to Freedom House and practically everyone else. It's a de facto one-party state. But as you say, by the fraught standards of Cambodian history, it's at least stable and it has developed economically in some ways. How would you describe the state of the Cambodian nation as Hun Sen takes a step back? Yeah, it's a very, it's a hard judgment to make given the low benchmark that Cambodia is coming from. I mean, as you say, the country has experienced, it's, it's almost a byword for civil war and upheaval in the late 20th century. 
And so if one, if one measures Hun Sen against that benchmark, then things look pretty good. And I think we need to give him credit for presiding over the longest period of peace and stability in modern Cambodian history. But we also need to acknowledge the costs of that, the downsides. Um, the creation of political stability under Hun Sen has uh, empowered a rapacious elite of officials who are uh, exist essentially above the law in Cambodia. Hun Sen has relied on these individuals and has had to give them a free hand to exploit the country's natural resources for their own gain. And so the economic growth that we've seen has been highly unequal. It's produced huge amounts of corruption. And those who are at the upper echelons of this political system enjoy de facto impunity from the law. And so I think that, you know, the tragedy of, of contemporary Cambodia is that these very real achievements have also been purchased at the cost of the country's natural environment, land grabs, ballooning income inequality, even though in many ways Cambodia has been transformed in some ways for the better since um, Hun Sen was, since his childhood. Yeah, it's a complex legacy, if nothing else. Uh, in your the latest update to your book, you describe Cambodia as having a facade of liberal institutions behind which the CCP governs through a latticework of personal connections bound together by the invisible currencies of loyalty and obligation. Can you give us some insights into how that invisible currencies, or how those invisible currencies operate? Well, essentially, it all operates through relationships between key individuals. And so there is a, you know, I, I describe it, as you say, as a latticework, this interlocking network of key individuals uh, who are related often, very often by marriage. I mean, every couple of days on Twitter, I see an announcement of a new elite marriage between the son of a tycoon and the daughter of a government minister who's mm. close to Hun Sen. And so through this, it's essentially an extended family network that that stretches across the nation, you know, into every province, into every major political institution and the security forces. Um, and power, you know, it is based on securing the loyalty of these of powerful individuals within this system. Mm. And in exchange for that loyalty, they are, you know, they're granted access, preferential access to business opportunities, land concessions, you know, to cut down trees and sell them across the border to Vietnam or China. Um, and yeah, various uh, advantages. And in return, they then pay money back to the CPP, a sort of um, parallel tax, I think you might describe it as. Right. So the currency the gets quite literal. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, 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 yeah, money flows upward, um, protection flows downward, and the system continues to expand to accommodate, you know, new officials as they rise up, as well as many defectors from opposition parties as well, I might add. Mm. On Sunday Extra, we're speaking with Sebastian Strangio, who is Southeast Asia editor at The Diplomat about the extraordinary life and career of Hun Sen. I mentioned, Sebastian, the royal approval for Hun Manet's succession, uh, which seemed noteworthy to me given the history between Hun Sen and the Cambodian royal family. What is uh, his relationship with the monarchy? I think the, you know, the, the monarchy has been defanged politically under Hun Sen. Um, in the in 1993, Sihanouk, Prince Sihanouk, returned and was crowned king as part of Cambodia's transition to democratic, you know, a new democracy under the auspices of the UN. And he and Hun Sen vied for power through the 1990s and early 2000s. But eventually, Sihanouk abdicated in favor of his son and essentially retired from politics. His son is Siamoni, the current king, and he he's somebody who's shown little interest or appetite in political life. He has been very content to um, go with the flow, to rubber stamp the various 
um, royal decrees that Hun Sen requests. And so what we see in Cambodia today is an a institution that plays its constitutional role, that does not seek to um, play a political role in the way that um, Sihanouk did for many decades of Cambodia's political history. Um, and in many respects, Hun Sen himself has taken on a lot of the duties traditionally associated with kingship, mm. the inauguration of Buddhist pagodas, um, charity work of various kinds, especially his wife, Bun Rani, has taken the lead at the Cambodian Red Cross, which was once the preserve of Queen Mononiet, um, Sihanouk's um, old queen. And so there have been, you know, in, in many symbolic ways, the real center of monarchical power centers on Hun Sen and his family. Yeah, that's really interesting. What's the state of play for Cambodia in terms of international relations? Obviously, key relationships with China, then the West, the Western democracies, and of course, neighbours like Vietnam and Thailand. Cambodia has grown very close to China over the last couple of decades, and, and the reason is quite simple. I mean, Hun Sen has um, always resented this democratic system which was created in the early 1990s. He's seen it as a threat on his uh, on his power, um, and he has done his best to subvert that system. But because he's been reliant on Western aid for so many years, that's imposed limits as to how far he can go in eliminating the opposition altogether. But over the past decade, we've seen with the rise of Chinese support that Hun Sen doesn't really need to play this game anymore. He's able to, he's been able to go a lot further than previously. Uh, and so, that, you know, we've seen a very good relationship with China develop. We've also seen a a conversely, um, a converse souring of relations with the Western democracies, particularly the United States, as Hun Sen has thumbed his nose at their concerns about Cambodia's democratic progress or lack thereof. And so we've seen relations get to a pretty difficult spot. Indeed. Uh, you mentioned limits on eliminating the opposition. There don't seem to be many of those limits these days. What is left of the political opposition to Hun Sen? It's... A rump opposition, the, Cambo the Candlelight Party, which was barred from running in last month's election, still exists on paper. Um, its officials are, you know, it hasn't been totally eliminated, but it, you know, the fact that it wasn't allowed to run in the election tells you everything you need to know. Um, any party that could potentially threaten the CPP's power is, has got a target on its back, and that's been the case for a very long time. Previously, international scrutiny created a space in which oppositional politics could happen with a relative amount of freedom. That's why I was allowed to work in Cambodia for an English-language newspaper. Mm. Um, and we got to do – we were had a great deal of freedom in what we could publish at the time. But that's all changed. Really interesting. Uh, you, you wrote that a stable succession plan was necessary to secure Hun Sen's legacy. Has that legacy been secured now, do you think? And what can we expect from Hun Manet as Prime Minister? We'll have to wait and see. And, uh, you know, one of the big question marks hanging over this succession was whether the party would go along with it. As I said, there's a lot of powerful people within the CPP that might have coveted the prime ministership or a position of primacy for themselves. And so Hun Sen, I think, has been spending the last decade convincing the party that, that a generational transition within the party is in everybody's best interests. As for Manette... Um, you know, we, we don't really know that much about him aside from his CV. His public comments have been very vague. He's pledged to carry on his father's legacy, but we don't really know exactly, you know, he, there's no distinctive national vision that we can really um, see. 
uh, in his comments. He is a very diff- he comes from a very different background than his father, though, and that's something we can say for certain. He has grown up in a context of relative wealth and privilege. Uh, his father, you know, suffered through the Civil War, fought in the Civil War, and was shaped profoundly by that experience. Manette has been educated at some of the best schools in the world. Despite being a military man, he's not somebody who's who sees politics like a battlefield in the way that Hun Sen does. And so I think we could see an atmospheric shift in the way Cambodian politics is conducted, but I've seen no evidence that he will be any type of reformer. And indeed, even if he wished to introduce significant democratic reforms, I think he would face resistance from key people within the politi- within the party itself. Mm, yeah, well, it sounds like uh, you mentioned his CV. It sounds like there's not much to his CV other than being the son of Hun Sen. Uh, but it's a really fascinating situation and it's been great speaking with you about it. Thanks so much for joining us, Sebastian. Thanks, Julian. That's uh, Sebastian Strangio, who's Southeast Asia editor at The Diplomat, as we heard, former reporter and editor of the Phnom Penh Post. And Sebastian wrote the book Cambodia from Pol Pot to Hun Sen and beyond. And on Sunday Extra, it's 25 minutes past seven. Find more great ABC RN stories that take you beyond the headlines on the ABC Listen app.